we together here will uh, continue in the Gospel of Luke. So if you do have your Bibles, we'll turn there to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We're going to, to skip ahead in the story to understand some, some pr- profound truths about Christmas and about what takes place in Jesus. We're going to begin in verse 25 of chapter 2 and then follow on through verse 40. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that, it would, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do what, for him what was custom uh, uh, under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother married at what was, uh, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. This is God's word offered in his reading and in his hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we do give you thanks for this gift, your gift of your word. We thank you for the wisdom that uh, is contained therein, and we ask that you would bless us with your presence at this time so that we might receive that wisdom. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power then we ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wonder what it would be. Your description of the year 2020. Would it be short? It sucked. Uh, <laughs> What, what, would it, what would you say about the year 2020? Would, would, would you describe it 
uh, in, in verbose fashion? How would you uh, 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 articulate the ebb and flow, the up and down, the push and pull that was the year? But let me make the, 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 clear, the, the, the challenge even more clear. How would you describe the year 2020 in one sentence? Just one. To take it all and distill it into one summary sentence, what would that be for you? Maybe something along the lines of, it was hard, but through it I became strong. This year challenged me in ways I never imagined and I crumbled under that challenge. Or maybe uh, this was the year that I lost my job, but I found the Lord. In isolation, I felt despair, but grew to appreciate connection all the more. Distance was near, so I drew near to those that I was able to. How would you describe 2020? I like the question uh, at, at this point because we're in December, we're uh, nearing the end of the year. And so uh, rather than taking uh, the benefit of years of wisdom of reflection, you know, maybe this is a question that, that your kids will ask you about, your grandkids will ask you about, someone uh, down the generations will ask you about, and, and you'll be thinking, what was that year like? And you'll have the benefit of that wisdom. But maybe, maybe we should pause and we should say, what is this year today? How do I look back on it and is there a way that I can choose hope where I could where I could point to some massive transformation that God established in the midst of suffering pain or challenge can we pause today and and have that context made clear for us it's a real challenge to try to describe mass amounts of times in a succinct way and, and yet, Scripture does it rather often, particularly uh, when it deals with Jesus' early years. Have you noticed in Scripture that we have, like, sentences that will say, and then Jesus was 30? <laughs> like, like, he was born, and the next thing you know, he is, like, at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. You're like, um, yeah, what happened there? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, we have a 12-year summary statement of Jesus' life. The evangelist Luke uh, finds it uh, important to be able to, to, to name what took place through the birth narrative to identify his dedication at the temple and the significance of what took place there. And then we jump 12 years. But Luke doesn't leave us hanging he gives one sentence in verse 40 of what we read today that says, this is what those 12 years were. So I challenged you on 2020. Now I challenge you to think about like a mass period of time in your life. Maybe you've been married for 10 or 12 years. Maybe, you've, maybe you lived in one place as, as, a, as a child for, for eight or nine years. Think about a chunk of time that, uh, that comes close to a 12-year period and say, this is what 12 years was. It's hard. 
And yet I find that the evangelist Luke describes for us the critical elements that he strategically and importantly had to declare about those 12 years. But he doesn't establish that out of nowhere. I, I told you, like, uh, he, he built the narrative. We know of the, the Charlie Brown Christmas that's rooted in the Gospel of Luke. And we know that it then moves to this scene in the temple that we're going to speak to. But, but as it makes that shift, you, you have a tie, a direct linkage between Simeon, the priest, Anna, the prophet, and a 12-year declaration. So first to Simeon. Let, let's, let's start there. Simeon is, is a priest. Uh, we don't know if he was held in any sort of high esteem or, or, or any sort of position of, of, of authority, but we do know that he was righteous and devout. The scriptures describe him clearly, righteous and devout. Now, those are like big, huge uh, descriptors. When, whenever we see that in Scripture, we, we, we should like have our eyes like, wow, because we're so used to in Scripture having uh, individuals described by their flaws and God's redemptive power in the midst of their, their sin and their flaws. But here we have Simeon. It, it almost puts them in relationship to Noah. You remember Noah, God surveying all of, of humanity and sees nothing but sin and depravity. And then he looks upon Noah and there's righteous man, devout and faithful to God. And so there in that space, he chooses a, a new course of action to restore creation through this family. Here we have Simeon described in verse 25 as righteous and devout. And he's a priest. We know this by his role in the, in the lawful dedication of Jesus as a man, as a male child in the Jewish faith. But we can't miss how profoundly impacted Simeon is with the work of the Holy Spirit. Three times over in this short passage, it describes Simeon's interaction with the Holy Spirit. And, and I've said this before, I want to remind you again, because sometimes we, we, we miss this as Christians. We point to Pentecost Sunday in Acts, and we say this is where the Holy Spirit started. But that's not the, the, the gospel account. The, the, the biblical narrative points to the Holy Spirit at work throughout the Old Testament, beginning in creation when the Spirit hovered over the waters. Uh, it also then points to activity of the Holy Spirit in different Old Testament characters and even in Simeon before Jesus' uh, death and resurrection before Pentecost. So Simeon, it says, was, 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 was filled with the Holy Spirit. It actually describes it in this way in verse, at the end of verse 25. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. That word on is, is somewhat complex in the Greek. It is actually a, a word that its definition is dependent on what preceded and what followed that word. Uh, and, and there's a, a slight um, emptiness to the simplicity of the word on or the word upon that we arrive at in the English. Because when, whenever it talks about on, it's not, it's not speaking of like, like, like resting on, like, like the Holy Spirit was like literally on him. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's not also saying above him, which could be a further translation here. When it's saying that the Holy Spirit was on 
him, was on Simeon, there is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in his life where the intimate connection is so profound that it would be seen and known by others and it would be a guide to him in every way. May we all have the Holy Spirit on us in that way. But then the Holy Spirit's interaction with Simeon goes even further. The Holy Spirit spoke to him a a word of prophecy that he would not die until he had seen, literally seen, uh, the the word says, the uh, the, the Messiah. In verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And this was something that he uh, did not hide. He was... Uh, willing to share with others this truth that the Holy Spirit told him that he would encounter. And that word seen is a literal scene that he would lay his eyes on the Messiah. And then finally, his interaction with the Holy Spirit. There on that morning, Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say whether Simeon was, was on duty or off duty that day as a priest whether he was supposed to fill this function or that function on this day as a priest, all it says is the Holy Spirit led him to encounter Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on this day. He's a man that the Holy Spirit rested on, that the Holy Spirit prophesied through, and then also that the Holy Spirit led. And so there in that moment, as the Spirit of God leads him to interact with Jesus, what happens? He is profoundly filled with joy. He he takes Jesus in his arms. I want you to get that intimate picture because sometimes I think whenever we hear the words that Simeon utters, we think of Jesus as a 31, 32-year-old man who, who, who had disciples and taught and healed and worked many miracles. But I want you to see Jesus being held as an infant in, in Simeon's arm. And there in that space, he calls out the truth about who this Jesus is. He, he says, Lord, I, I, could, I could go on now. I don't need to live another day. Everything that you said has been fulfilled. My eyes have seen the coming of the Lord. And since my eyes have seen him, I now can rest in peace. He's ready for death because all that he had looked forward to his entire life had now been fulfilled. He has seen the Lord. And there from that place of joy, he, he, he named salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. I want you to to draw a parallel from verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation back to uh, verse 26 where it says that the Holy Spirit told him he would not die until he saw, he, he had seen the Lord's Messiah. There is a direct parallel between the Lord's Messiah and salvation. Simeon would see the Messiah And now he declares, I have seen salvation. To see Jesus is to see salvation. Simeon declares for all of us. I want to see Jesus. I want to see salvation. 
And that was such the heart of Simeon, such his desire that he rejoiced in celebration. And he declared something that, that, that not all Jews would agree with at that day and at that time. Uh, he, there, was, there was controversy in the Jewish faith about uh, the, the role of the Messiah. Many thought it was going to be just for the Jews. Others thought that it was going to have a bigger, broader effect according to the Old Testament prophecy. And here in verse 32, Simeon declares that this salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for the people Israel. This is both for the Gentiles and for the people of Israel, the Jews and the Gentiles together in salvation through Jesus. That's the priest. Now the prophet. The prophet Anna. Anna is, uh, is an outstanding character. If you just pause long enough to, to dig into what it says, we know about Anna. It, it says, first of all, that Anna is, is a prophet. That's a, a great way to announce her. That means that she was revered and had great respect in the Jewish faith, that people looked to her for, for wisdom from God and knew that the Lord spoke through her to the people. But, but it articulates some really unique factors about who Anna is. Anna is 84 years old, we hear in verse 37. 84 years old. And she lives in the temple. In fact, it, it describes in this way, uh, in, in verse 37, she never left the temple, but worshiped day and night. Never left the temple. The priest, when they were off duty, they would leave the temple. They would go to their homes. You could go to the archaeological digs that show the, the, the priest's homes. They would come back and forth from the temple to their homes. But Anna, Anna never left. There, there would be question about who you would encounter when you went to the temple. Am I going to see this priest? Am I going to see that priest? But there was never a doubt that if you went to the temple, you were going to see Anna. Anna lived there. But get this. Anna didn't just live there. She was 84 years old, and it describes that she was widowed after seven years years of marriage. Traditionally, she would have been married in her teens. Let's just ballpark it, make it easy, say that she was 17 years old when she got married. She would have been widowed at 24 years old. Now, we don't know exactly when she was married, but we know what was normal about the Jewish world. So if she was widowed at 24 and from that point on she lived in the temple, she would have been living in the temple for 60 years. Families would come and go from the Galilee or from all over that, uh, the, the Jewish world and they would come for festivals to the temple a few times a year. And think about it this way. When you came for festival, you knew that you were going to enter into the temple. And who were you going to see? Anna. Anna was there every day, all day and night for 60 years. Wow. How how. 
How profound impact did she have on so many lives? Think about the relationships that she would have developed over the years. The children that she would have seen dedicated there in the temple. And then the children that she would have seen come back as grown men and women to connect and to sacrifice and to be restored in relationship to the Lord. What a profound impact she would have had. And there at 84 years old, it accounts that she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Her life was dedicated to the Lord where all she did was worship, fast, and pray. And I imagine based upon the, the, the context of, uh, of, of what Simeon and Anna were both looking forward to, that they would have had a relationship. They would have known each other. And so uh, there uh, the scene is set and Simeon is, is holding Jesus in his arms, declaring that he has seen salvation. And Anna, Anna hears it from across the way and she comes running, I imagine. And, and there she looks upon Jesus and she looks upon Simeon and she sees what Simeon saw. She sees salvation and she rejoices. She, she is astounded that this encounter has taken place. And there in that way, we have her account, her account in verse 38 that redemption is here. Verse 38 says, coming up at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And get this, and spoke about the child to all who were looking for redemption. She spoke about Jesus to all who were looking for redemption. She looked out and she said, Kathy, Kathy, we've been waiting for this day. We've been looking for redemption. And it's here. Jesus is here. And then she, she, saw, she saw the Wilt family and she said, look, look, redemption is here. Jesus is here. Do you see? We've been waiting for redemption and now it's here with us. Powers, do you understand what's going on? Rankins, look, Jesus is here. You know what's happening, LeBlancs. Look, we have been waiting for it. We've been talking about this for years. I, every, every year when you've come here, we, I pointed to, to the Messiah. I've told you that the Messiah is coming. I've been pointing to redemption, and you believe in it, and I believe in it. And now in this space, do you know that it's here? She was overwhelmed with joy to be able to pro proclaim the truth. Their redemption has arrived here in this space, in this world, for all. The priest, the prophet, and the 12-year declaration. The 12-year declaration is in verse 40. If you have your Bibles, I want you to, to hold with me there, Luke 2, 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. First, I love this passage because it connects exactly with what the Lord told Zach, Pastor Zach and I that we should work on and teach in our Advent study because you know, uh, over the course of two Wednesdays, last Wednesday and this next, by the way, if you want to come this Wednesday, feel free. We'd love to have you. 
the Lord said to focus on how God was made flesh incarnate and in Jesus we have the full divinity of God and the full humanity of Jesus. And so those two things come together. And over the course of Scripture, we have a number of texts where you could point to specifically the humanity of Jesus or the divinity of Jesus. But there are also a few precious texts that point to both at the same time. And this is one of those, one of those verses. The first half of the verse, the child grew and became strong. Now, that seems like something that any of us could use to describe our 12-year-old. Like whenever we, we look and we say, okay, from birth to 12, how do I summarize what took place? Well, they're bigger. <laughs> they were like this, and now they're like this, right? Like that, that's, 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 a, that's a layup, right? That's a layup, and, and it's easy for us. And they became strong, right? I used to have to hold their head. Then they could hold their own head. Then they could toddle around. Now they can walk. They got stronger. Okay, cool. So there's Jesus' humanity on display here. He, he grew and became strong. But then we hear his divinity on display. God made flesh. And here's what it says. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Filled with wisdom. How many 8, 9, and 10-year-olds do you know that you would describe as saying they were filled with divine wisdom? <laughs> Maybe in momentary lapses by sheer luck and accident. <laughs> but for the evangelist Luke to declare that he was filled with wisdom. He, he's not saying that he had, that, 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 that this wisdom uh, was, was his, that he possessed on his own. It actually, he was filled, that God, God impressed his divine wisdom into Jesus such that he would, he would uh, have it to offer to the world and it would be an overflow. This is, this is the need for truth. And we search for truth in all sorts of different ways. We search for truth on, on, on Google or social media. We search for truth on Wikipedia. We search for truth from mentors or for teachers or for professors. All the ways in, we, in which we look for truth and search for truth. And here we have contained that Jesus, as a child, from infancy until 12 years old, was filled with wisdom. Maybe if even the baby Jesus was filled with wisdom, we should turn to him yet again. He is there offering wisdom for us. And then it says the grace of God was on him. Before we get to that, I want to point to this essential truth. Luke says that Jesus was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him as must adds to a 12-year description of life. But he's not alone in that. Independently, John also writes in this way. He, he declares in his version of the birth narrative, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 14, and then... He skips forward in a 30-year description, moving from birth to John the Baptist in the wilderness. He says this in verse 14. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, from birth, in Luke and in John, full of grace and truth, wisdom. So maybe we should pay attention. Maybe we should hear about these things that Jesus, uh, Jesus brings with him from God incarnate into the world. So that when we declare Emmanuel, God with us, we, we understand the depth of that Emmanuel, the, 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 the far-reaching impact of God with us, that God is with us in grace and so I, I shared with you that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. And now I declare in verse 40 that the grace of God was on Jesus. And it's the same word used in the same way to, de to declare the same truth. So if you want to, to, to connect with the Holy Spirit being on Simeon and you have a relationship with that because you've experienced the Holy Spirit coming on you, then you can connect with what it means for Jesus to have the grace of God on him. It's not just above him or on him, but it's manifest in his very nature. So that in every encounter that anyone had with him from birth all the way through death, before his public ministry, during his public ministry, all along the way, he had the grace of God to offer to the world. And he did so in such lavish fashion. Think about all of the biblical examples where, where you can understand that, that Jesus gave this undeserved gift from God to others. Whether it was the, the Samaritan woman at the well where, where she sought water and then she sought living water. And he said, I am the Messiah and I have given you this Water. This is grace for her. Or, or even in the simple calling of the disciples as Jesus calls out simple men and says, follow me and I will give you the bread of life. I will offer you something that you have never known before. I will teach you to fish for people. And in that way, I'm going to give you grace and teach you to give grace to others. Think about Jesus sitting with Zacchaeus or with Levi at table with sinners. And there he graced them with his presence and poured out an undeserving gift upon them. And then ultimately, finally, we see Jesus in the gospel of Luke on the cross and there in that space, he looks out upon all that have followed him and betrayed him and all that stand by as onlookers. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus offers grace to the world. But it doesn't just start at the cross it starts at the incarnation. When Jesus comes as a baby, he comes for you and for me. God with us. Grace with us. This day, now, and forevermore. 
Would you pray with me? Gracious God, even in that moment as we declare that you are gracious, we are reminded of this truth or acquainted with it for the first time, Lord, that that you entered into the world as grace for the world. And so, oh God, we come and we ask for your grace. We pray, oh God, whether it is for the hundredth, thousandth, or for the first time, if we're praying it this day, Lord, we pray for your grace to, to overwhelm us with your love and share with us the truth of your gospel message that you come into the world, God made flesh to be grace for all. Lord, with Simeon, we declare that we have seen your salvation. With Anna, we declare that we have received redemption. And we celebrate the fact that you are grace for all who desire. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.